0: You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. We're reading tonight from Jude. Chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who are called Beloved in God beloved in God the Father and kept for Christ for Jesus Christ may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you beloved Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the Saints this is the word of the Lord well good evening again uh, my name is Brad I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy View and uh, again thank you for your graciousness in uh, coming forward a little bit here I hope maybe this is a, a good new habit for us as we make room for new people and those they that uh, may come in and hang out with us I do see some some new faces here this evening we are so honored that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. And if I can serve you in any way, I would be uh, so happy to do so. Pastor John as well, and uh, another one of our pastors here, over another Pastor John over here to the left. Um, be happy to, to uh, serve you in whatever way we can. Well, yesterday I walked into a room filled with other men. And uh, at the very beginning of this uh, meeting with these men, Uh, The leader of the meeting said I want you to be ready to stand up and tell us What you do for this organization? And so when the time came for me to stand up and to say that this is what I said. I said I am a returning coach uh, for the junior high football team, but this year I am serving as its offensive coordinator excited to do that Uh, But that is what my role is in this organization. And as the men went, we went down the line, they all had different roles, different positions uh, that they were playing in this organization that we are a part of. Now, depending on where you are in your location or your context, if someone were to ask you, who are you? You are likely to answer in a similar way that I did because of the location that I I was in. Now, your location may be a job interview. And the person interviewing you may ask you, uh, tell me about yourself. And of course, you're thinking, I need this job. I want this job. So what are you going to say? You're going to talk about your achievements in previous jobs, your skills. You're going to talk about your training. Maybe you are grabbing coffee with someone and uh, you're hanging out in uh, that context, you're really, it's a friendship kind of moment and, and, and you're asked by this other person, what are, you, what are you about? Who are you? And you may talk about your family. You may talk about, here in Tulsa, it seems like everybody wants to know where you go to church, right? Or where you went to high school, uh, if it's at the gym. You know, maybe your weight training routine or your cardio routine is what you lead with in conversation when someone asks about you. Um, Most of us, many of us are on social media. Social media is one of those places where we let everybody know about ourselves, right? Our hobbies, our lifestyle, our politics, our opinions about things, even the pictures, that we post on social media, tell others what we want them to know about us. But I wanna go a little bit deeper here, just for a moment. What if I asked you this question, who are you at your very core? Would you answer that question like the previous uh, contexts and locations like your job or your relationships or your personality. It might be the most important question that you ever answer. What am I, who am I, or maybe we could ask it this way, what do I base my identity on? Because. Honestly, whatever you base your identity on will not only be important to you, but it will likely become reality to you. Or maybe said another way, you will do whatever it takes to make that reality happen, and the dark side of that is this, in doing so, sometimes we likely use others to get there. Who are you? your answer to that question has repercussions. It has consequences. It's important that we are able to answer that question really well if we are to really live. Tonight we begin a new six-week series in the New Testament book of Jude. You're unfamiliar with the Bible. Jude is almost at the very end of the entire Bible. It sits between the epistles of John and Revelation. And it's unique in that it is one of a handful of books that you can fit, at least in my Bible, on one page. But don't let the size of the book of Jude uh, convince you that it's somehow unimportant. It, it, the book of Jude, and you're going to see this over the next six weeks, is absolutely packed with truth that we need to hear, that we need to simmer in over the next few weeks, I actually think it couldn't be more relevant for us. We live, if you're a believer here tonight, we live in an unprecedented time where there is no end of podcasts or articles or blog posts and social media that you and I as believers can access to understand the things of God. It's everywhere. Much of this is to be celebrated, honestly. But not all teaching or preaching or conversation about the things of God are created equal. How can you, how can we tell the difference between that which is biblical and that which isn't? How do you figure that out? How do you do that practically? Well, our prayer in this series is that you grow in your ability to both detect false teaching and declare with boldness the truth of the gospel in our times. That's the title of this sermon series, Detect and Declare. And as we begin our series this evening, I want to invite you to see two things. First is this. Our identity is found not in who we are, but who we are in Jesus. Not who we are, but who we are in Jesus. And secondly, I want to invite you to see this. Our identity moves us to contend for who Jesus is and his message. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Jude. You won't have to turn very much. It should just all be on one page for you tonight. And as you look there, let me just read again for you verse 1. Here's what it says again. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now we say this often here at Mercy View. Don't skip over the introduction. Don't gloss over this first sentence, these first few words from our brother Jude here, because this is not throwaway information. This is not a formality that Jude begins his his book with. It is actually essential in understanding what the writer is trying to convey for the rest of the book. And this is no exception here in, in Jude. What's interesting to me, if you look at the language that Jude begins this book with, is He talks about who he believes he is. What do we call that? We call that identity. He's telling us who he, how he sees himself, right? So, So what does he say about himself? Look there. He says a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now something that you need to know about Jude. He tells us he's the brother of James here. But Jude is also the half-brother of Jesus. Now, his brother James, he mentions here, doesn't say much about James, but what, what you need to know about James is James is one of the leaders of the Christian church in Jerusalem at this time. So let's just think about this. If somebody, you would think if somebody would have asked Jude, who are you, that he would have been excited or expected to say, I'm Jesus's half-brother. I'm James's brother. I'm a leader in the Christian church. I'm kind of a big deal. But I want you to notice what Jude says. He says that the most important thing about him is that he is a servant of Jesus. In other words, in James's eyes, there was something even better than being the half-brother Of Jesus and the brother to James. It's being a servant of Jesus. Now that is what you call an identity. Um, In our house, um, recently, I've been having conversations with one of our sons about what it means to get baptized. Why do you get baptized? And for children, as you talk with them, one of the most I think important things to try to convey to them and help them see that, that when they make that decision to follow Jesus and to be baptized, what they're saying to God and in a local church as they get baptized, they're saying it to the rest of you. They're saying a lot of things, but one of the things they're saying is, Lord, I wanna make you boss. That's what Lord means. I wanna make you the boss of my life. What, what does that mean? It means that we are servants to a master, right Jude is saying the same thing here he is saying I am not my own boss in fact the most important thing about me is that I am being led by another I am I am a servant of another but we have to think about how did Jude get there how do you get there how do you come to a place where you can say a a significant part of your identity is that you are a servant of Jesus. Well, something had happened to Jude. And we see it there in verse 1. Jude says that three things had taken place in his life. Let's look at those three things real quick. First, he said that he has been called. So if, if you are in Jesus, if you're a Christian here tonight, you are called And really, the other two phrases that we're getting ready to talk about, being loved and kept in Jesus, flow out of the idea of being called by Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, the word means just what you think it might mean, but actually, it's even stronger. It appears about 10 times in the New Testament, and it means that you've not just been called, like getting a call from someone on the phone, but you have been summoned, you have been petitioned. You have been called forth. A few weeks ago, I parked at a downtown uh, parking lot. And I, I, I was early to the meeting. And I told myself, when I get out of the car, i got to remember to pay that, you know, the fee to, to park in this space. And um, too much time, I guess, passed and I forgot. And I went in to have this meeting. And I came back out. And sure enough, there was a ticket on my windshield. And so, on that Ticket, it had information about what I could do, like right off the bat, to pay that fine. But then it said, if you don't pay this fine, uh, you will be summoned to court. You have to address it there. That's what this means. That's what Jude is talking about. He is saying that if you have been called by Christ, you have been summoned by Jesus to him. And it really means this at its most basic level. It's that if you are in Jesus, it is because the God of the universe has chosen you. The Bible teaches us that we as Christians have been chosen and called by God. The Lord of the universe decided, even delighted to be in relationship with you and pursued you and called you to him. But this idea of being summoned to God, it also means this, that the the call to us was not optional. Uh, Many, many years ago, I mustered the courage to ask Holly out on our first date. And the thing is, she could have said no It was completely up to her how she responded. I'm glad she said yes, but it was her choice. It's that way with with God. When God calls, God, I'm sorry, it's not that way with God. When God calls us, God works in a way that without infringing upon our wills, and this is a mystery, without violating our will, he calls into our lives and pulls us to him. He His uh, aim reaches its target and it accomplishes its purpose. Over and over again, it says that if you're a believer in Jesus, this is in the Bible, if you're a believer in Jesus, it's because God has chosen you, God has called you. You were the object of his affection before anybody even knew you existed. God is the initiator, the first pursuer, the lover of your soul. And not only that, but God didn't choose you because you deserved it. Friend, there's nothing inside of you that caused Jesus to die for you. For God to send Jesus to die for you, it was based on something inside of him. So, first, he says that you have been called. But second, Jude says, what has created this identity of a servant is that he was loved by God and is loved by God. In the SV, it actually uses that word, beloved. You heard. John read that earlier. And I want you to notice that it says that he is beloved in God, right? Not loved by God, although that's true. But Jude is using a particular word here to bring to heart something that that you and I really struggle with, if we're honest, in our relationship with God. Um, We might know that um, we have this sort of relationship with God where God... Uh, loves us, but we're really not sure if he likes us. And what this means, to be beloved by God, means that not only does God love you, but God likes you. And I want you to notice that it says that you are loved, beloved in God. This is the only place in the New Testament that uses this phrase. And here's really what it means. It means that you are co-sharers in the love that the Father has for his son Jesus. What what kind of love is that? That is a perfect love. So the same love that the Father has for his son, he has for you. And if you're a believer, you are beloved in God in that way. There's something else to notice that you really don't maybe see in the English, in our English Bibles. It's the tense of the word. Uh, Beloved, The tense of the word beloved is actually in the present tense. It is not a past tense verb. In other words, Jude is saying that if you are a Christian right now, right here, you are loved by God. You are loved in God. You are the object of his permanent and unchanging love. The greatest theological statement that you could ever make is a song that many of you learned as children and it goes like this, Jesus loves me, this I know. Now third, Jude says that there is another component that drives this servant identity that he is being formed in and he says he is being kept, says that in the ESV. Some other translations you may see words like guarded or, or protected. But the idea is the same, and and we're going to really talk about this a little bit more in the weeks to come. Jude, in this letter, is writing to address some dangers that are threatening the church. There are false teachers, false teaching that had infiltrated the church, that are pressing in on the church, and Jude, and we're going to look at this here in just a moment, he's going to say, hey, your radar needs to be up. You need to be thinking about what is true and what is not true and you actually need to protect and defend and contend for the gospel. And the reality is, is that our times are no different. And, and some of you, as you think about the last year and a half or so, you're, you're wondering still, how, how are we gonna make it through? How are we gonna persevere? This has been a really difficult time for believers. And you've asked that of your own heart. Do I just need to tough it out? Do I need to just endure this? Do I need to uh, wait it out? But Jude is saying, no, you don't have to do this alone. You are doing it alone if you're a believer. Jude says that we are kept. And some of you really need to hear that this evening. You're discouraged. You're disoriented still. You're You're frustrated. You're confused. The last year has kind of, uh, with your faith, it has sort of uh, messed with it, right? It's like kind of like made you wonder about God and about the world, and you've just been really. Some of you've had a crisis of faith. And Jude is saying that if you are a believer, you know that you've been called by God, that you are beloved by God. You can also know that you are kept. That also is a present tense verb, so that means that um, you are being guarded right now, right here. You are being protected. You are the objects of God's vigilant and constant care. John Bunyan, who some of you have heard of, uh, uh, lived a long time ago, lived in the 17th century in England, wrote a classic allegory on the Christian life and He imagined this dialogue between a Christian and Christ. And I thought of this this week as I I thought about this idea of being kept and how we struggle with really believing that. Here's how the dialogue goes. But I am a great sinner, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all of my days, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, you say, but I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have nothing good to bring with me, you say, but I will never cast cast you out says Christ the most important word in that dialogue is the word never friend if you are beloved in Christ you've been called by Christ you can know that you are kept nothing will ever cast you out of Christ so here's the first thing I want to invite you to see this evening your identity is found not in who you are but who you are in Jesus. Friends, all of these truths that we just talked about are yours. If you're a believer, you are called, you are loved, you are kept, and all of those things actually are meant to be taken together. We're not to to look at them like a, a bullet point list, but rather facets of a diamond. If you have trusted in Jesus, this is who you are in this moment that we find ourselves in right now. You are chosen and called by God, You are loved in the present tense. You are guarded in the present tense. I actually see there's even a past, present, future dimension to what we just looked at. In the past, He chose you. In the present, He loves you and guards you. And in the future, you will be kept and presented safe before Christ. Friends, you can rest in this. Some of us are so restless in our spirit, in our faith right now. We are struggling to have peace, we are struggling to have freedom. You can have deep peace that these truths are yours if you are in Christ. These truths are what Jude is saying has helped him understand his identity as a servant. And friends, it'll be what helps you embrace your identity as a servant too. Your identity is found not in who you are, but who you are in Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you would say, I... I don't know, Brad, if I'm called, if I'm beloved by by God, if if I'm being kept by God. And I wanna offer to you the message that Jesus gives to all of us this evening, which is to come. And you might say, Brad, but I'm a great sinner. And Christ says to you, but I will never cast you out. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Don't leave here tonight without getting that settled. Come and talk to me talk to one of the other pastors, we would be honored to talk with you about what it means to receive these precious gifts, these truths that we are called, that we are loved and kept. Now, look with me if you would back at Jude, verse three. We're gonna close here. Jude continues, says this. Look there, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, what Jude is doing here is beginning to describe a particular way that someone who has the identity that we just talked about, how they are to operate, how they are to begin to move out into uh, the world, how do they maneuver in life, and ultimately, how do they serve as a servant. And one of the rhythms that you're going to see in the Scriptures, and I just want to point it out here real quick as we begin Jude, Jude begins by reminding us of who we are so that then he can tell us what to do. And most of the time in the Scriptures, that is the order that you'll see. I actually see that as the order in all of Scripture, but sometimes what happens is Uh, um, the the command or the directive is followed by a reminder of who you are in Christ but here we have a great picture of what happens most of the time in the scriptures we see a reminder uh, an encouragement of who we are so that from that we can begin to obey Christ so we're not obeying Christ to get him to love us we already know that he does and so we're working from that place in obedience and so what does Jude say here? There's really one word, I think, that captures. This is not the only thing that Christians are to do, but it's one thing that we are to absolutely do, and that is to contend. To contend. Um, in our series, the sermon title, we have the word declare. That is a synonym for this idea. We are to, um, uh, to, to protect and to guard something in particular. Jude calls it to contend for the faith. Now, the word contend here for the faith, we're not talking about what uh, many of us understand to be sort of the subjective um, action that we take as we believe uh, in in God. Uh, It is not, Jude is not talking about what you and I exercise In our relationship with Christ. What Jude is actually talking about here, when he says contend for the faith, he is talking about um, what I would just call doctrine or theology or, at its very core, the gospel of Jesus. And this word contend is a word that um, back in the day that this would have been written was for athletes who in an effort to win put all of their effort struggling and fighting for the desired result toward the desired end. It's a very, very strong word. We are called here, we're called to put all of our energies into contending for the gospel. And though this book is uh, in a lot of ways going to talk about what does it look like for us to contend for the gospel in a world that is uh, antagonistic against it, we have to remember that we also, first and foremost, have to contend for the gospel in our own hearts. We have to fight to believe and to trust in and to preach the gospel to ourselves. We cannot give away what we have not experienced in our own life. And Jude is saying here, both contend within yourself but also around you, the gospel. And actually, to put it bluntly, Jude is saying this because... We continually face the danger of losing the gospel in our own lives. And those around us who would desire to bring people away from the truth of the gospel, um, if we give in to that, we lose the gospel in that sense as well. And so here's the second thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Our identity in Jesus as servants moves us to contend for who Jesus is and his message. We're gonna talk about this a little bit more in the weeks to come, but but apparently the church that Jude is writing to is being infiltrated by those who would desire, as Jude says here, to pervert, in verse four, pervert the grace of God. That means that false teachers were desiring to either distort or ultimately like, corrupt the gospel and drive people away from the good news of the gospel. This was serious stuff then, and it's serious stuff today. And Jude says, as a servant of Jesus, we are to detect and to declare or defend. Here is the how the second thing begins to play itself out, because we really have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. One, what are we contending for? What is the content or what is the the message is... We just said that, that we are uh, moved to contend for. what? What is it? Well, Jesus says uh, in his ministry, he tells us over and over, it's really two words. It's repent and believe. Repent and believe in what? Repent and believe in him. So at its very core, at its very basic level, to contend for the faith is in our own hearts and then around us and in, in, in other places, we are to help others repent and place their faith in the true gospel. But in order for us to do that, we have to know what the gospel is. And so, uh, one of the places that's super helpful for me is 1 Corinthians 15. There's a lot of places in the scriptures you can go to find these little gospel nutshells. And I'm not going to read that all for us right now. But when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you really begin to see... Three things about the gospel. It's what saves us, it's about Jesus, and it's about Jesus dying for our sins. It's about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. It's about the truth of who Jesus was when he lived a perfect life for us on our behalf, dying the death that we should have died and raising anew to to give us a guarantee of that salvation. And um, that's really, at its very basic level, all there really is to the gospel. The gospel has many, many implications, but at its very core, that is what the content of the gospel is. And Jude is saying, in order for you to contend for the gospel, you gotta know what the gospel is. Now that is the content of the gospel that we are defending, but I wanna just real briefly as we close, chat about how we are to contend. Um, a lot of people love Jude 1 3 because they think it gives them license to be jerks about the gospel like it doesn't matter how we contend for the gospel as long as the content is correct friends that is not what Jude is saying here in fact I think Jude gives us a framework very simply for how we are to contend for the faith. It's back in verse one as he talks about his identity. I believe he is trying to say, if you're a servant of Jesus, and then you are called to contend for the faith, you are to contend for the faith as a servant. What are the characteristics of a servant? We're to be humble, right? We're to be careful, we're to be clear, we are to speak the truth, but we're to do that in love. The weapons that we have at our disposal is not being brash, not being uh, a bully, not you know using a sharp tongue, but uh, things such as meekness and gentleness of Christ, making sure that we are first, as it says in Galatians 6, spiritual, and then displaying gentleness and, and caution, refraining from fighting, refraining from arguing. Uh, refraining, as it says in 2 Timothy, from quarrels and using the word and caution with patience and humility to correct the opposition. And some of you might say, well, wait a second, Brad. We're talking about false teachers and false teaching. You're, you're saying that we are to be gentle and be humble and to be patient? Yes. This does not at all preclude moments of firmness and moments of strength, and moments of clarity, and speaking the truth in love. But we need to ask ourselves, what marks us as witnesses? Here is the danger. The content of the gospel is good news. But if how we share the good news of that gospel in any way mars or obscures the good news of the gospel, it won't be heard. And here's how I would say it too even in cases with people that we've gotta be very truthful with as it relates to the doctrine or the truth of of who God is, the gospel of God, how are we gonna win them? How are we gonna win them to Christ? Some people, I get it, when we speak the truth to them, they will reject it, they will reject you even. But I wanna make sure that we don't always interpret a rejection of our approach as we uh, as us being in the right sometimes our approach was really poor so so again it's a it's really a tension that's why the scriptures call it truth and love we've got to be able to be firm and to be clear especially with those who would desire to bring you away from the truth of the gospel but we should make sure that as we are seriously contending for the gospel we do it in a way that doesn't make us functionally maneuver like the enemies of the gospel or the opposition that we're dealing with. If we're servants grounded in the gospel, we can have confidence that the spirit of God will work through the content of our message if spoken in a way that is winsome. So friends, our identity is found not in who we are, but who we are in Jesus. And our identity moves us to contend for who Jesus is and his message in a way that is clear and winsome. As we move through this book of Jude, I pray that we will find clarity on how to both detect and declare the good news of Jesus to our own hearts and to those around us, let's pray.